Broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. From Studio C, Caesar. Oh boy, dimly lit room, deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. And uh, today we're under the tutelage of our general manager. I thought long and hard about this. I'm going to go with Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, Bill Maher, your classical liberals who believe in free speech, free exchange of ideas, and are calling out the woke left like crazy. All right. You have some examples of that today, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah. Glenn Greenwald's been on fire. Just terrific stuff. Also, as day one of... Crank up that music, man. It's an intermation party. People walk in the door with chips and drinks and intermation. We sit around and we discuss the news of the day. That's the kind of party it is. Sounds great. You didn't come to party, don't bother knocking on my door. Oh, yeah. Finish. Day one of the trial yesterday, the big trial. Mm. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the big trial, then this probably isn't for you. <laughs> um, I noticed that uh, I took in a little coverage on CNN. They seem to be pretty, pretty, pretty much rooting for one outcome. Um, yeah, not surprisingly, not shockingly. Uh, I saw the. Uh, the people protesting outside and CNN repeated the idea that it's not just Derek Chauvin on trial. It's the American justice system on trial. Well, that's a good way to end up with rioting all across the country. Oh, my God. To make a case seem like it represents everything that's going on in America, the way the way the OJ thing was interpreted by the jury. Sure. And Either all will be won or all will be lost yeah. based on this trial. Um, but I just heard something interesting on the news as I was uh, driving to work today. Uh, studies show 80% of jurors make up their mind during opening statements. You ever heard that before? I don't know if I've ever not. heard it before. That's shocking. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit later on about the idea of professional juries, the pros and cons of that. Uh-huh. Um, As opposed to, uh, good, you know. That's a good classic talk radio topic. That's a good one. That's back in the old days could, of talk radio. Could courts trade jurors? Would there be salary caps involved? That'd be exciting, but uh, yeah. So what are then what you are, could get NFTs, Sean, of them saying guilty. I like where you know where my head's going. I can come <laughs> up with all kinds of pros. What are the cons? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Probably something. <laughs> it's been a long time, honestly, since I've looked into it. I remember coming away from it really liking the idea. Uh, uh, I, I suppose one of the, in theory. Not sure all this works in practice, but in theory, one of the great things about the way we do it is you get such a random sample all the time. Uh, sure, I think uh, the, the pro of the current system is that you are truly judged by a jury of your peers. They're average citizens who have a citizen's view. They're not part of the government. They're not part of the system. They're they're like you, as opposed to pros who would be arguably kind on the government team. Um, but again, it's an intriguing idea worth exploring. Has there ever been a study of how often juries are right, where you take a bunch of uh, hopefully non-interested, I don't know who, lawyers or legal experts or something, watching trials, comparing it to the jury's result, and see you know how often juries get it right or wrong? 
I have a, a feeling, yeah, that has happened. I'm not familiar with it, but surely it has. You think juries mostly get it right or mostly get it wrong? I I, I would guess they mostly get it right, but I'll bet they miss a lot. I would agree. Yep. And, and both you know, counts. like you yesterday, you called it the best justice system in the world. It's probably the best justice system that's ever existed in the world. Um, maybe getting it right two-thirds of the time is the best you can do. Yeah, that's a little scary. Although if Very it's, scary. You know, if the mistakes are in favor of acquittal, then that's less scary to me. You know, although sure. you don't want murderers running around, certainly, but most trials are not for murder. No. A couple of things I took away from the case yesterday, very briefly. Number one, I watched quite a bit and heard uh, the defendant referred to as Derek Chauvin, Chauvin, and Chavin within the courtroom itself. Perhaps within the courtroom alive. itself, so not the, the people covering it. The yeah, people there are a bunch in the of room, lawyers, yeah. The people in the room where the guy is sitting there, and in, uh, you would assume that several of those people saying that, because I, I heard the, the defense guy say Chauvin, and I thought, well, you... I assume I've been talking to the guy. I would hope. So I would assume you know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. I'm going with Chauvin myself. Yeah. His own uh, attorney says Chauvin. So. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And the other thing I want to say very briefly, and we can talk more about this later, is that uh, because I've been saying for quite some time that I don't believe he'll be convicted of certainly the more serious charges. The entire uh, justice system is on trial, Joe. Wow, that's uh, an interesting way to look at it. Uh, anyway, I do not for a minute think he's not a cruel bastard and was administering street punishment because there's controlling a, a suspect, right. there's necessary force, then there's deciding to punish them for being a pain in the ass, which I think is what was happening. I think that's what he was doing, too. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the jury says. The, the idea that 80% of juries make up their mind during opening arguments is really interesting to me. Is that a... Really? Scary. Is that a thing? It's ter- it's I just heard there are studies that say that. Oh. I, I don't know anything about the studies or how many. But uh, you think, well, obviously that's not good, but maybe it's just um, a paying attention thing. You're, you're super into it and you're paying the closest attention, and then as the weeks draw on, you're not quite paying as much attention. Right. The problem being, the opening statement is not evidence. It's just a guy talking. And he may say, I will demonstrate to you that Jack Armstrong was seen entering the home of Positive Sean with a gleaming knife in his hand. And then that never comes up at the trial. So you can say in the opening statement, I will prove with eyewitnesses that Jack Armstrong was seen at the crime and then never do it. Yes, although I'm sure there are criminal attorneys out there saying, whoa, 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 there's a limit to blah, 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 there's subtleties to it. But in essence, yes, you can say, and we have surveillance images of, of uh, Jack Armstrong going into Positive Sean's uh, house and then never produce them. Yeah, I have, I, you know, watching some of these celebrity trials uh, that, you know, that become big national phenomenons, I remember a couple of cases, you know, in the closing statements where one side will say they said in opening statements they would prove they did not. And I, and I always thought, I wonder how many of the jurors picked up on what they just said there like like really really you know taking in what they just said yeah because you'd have to be paying attention well more on that and if you've had experiences whether as an attorney or as a juror you'd like to tell us about why don't you email a mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com or if you text text 415-295-KFTC it's teamwork that makes the dream work and that's why we introduce everybody here on the squad there's our technical director michelangelo pressing buttons flipping toggles Wearing the robe 
of a judge. How are you this morning, Michelangelo? I'm all right. I forgot my belt today, which is not good because these pants are pretty loose. Mm. So I'm going to be that guy that walks down the hall and every three steps has to pull his pants up and you walk another three or four steps and pull your pants up. And I'm going to be that guy today. You're a man who wears loose fitting trousers. <laughs> that is your thing. Yeah. Comfort is important. Yes, exactly. Anyway, but, but as it's long just, as they stay north of the nether regions, that's I all I worry to, about. You no know? complaints. But it does yeah. throw you off. You know, when you're missing something like your belt, it does throw mm. you off. How loose are they? Exactly. If you just if you if you jumped up and down a couple of times, would they be down around your ankles? No, no, they're not that loose. Okay, but that's good. Uh, I had on a pair of saggy drawers the other day. I really should have gotten rid of them. Um, just and they were saggy underwear. Yeah, yeah. I got, I've got those where yeah. the elastic shot. Yeah, and they're just, just like <laughs> sinking down. I'm a man of means. Why do I keep stuff like that? But I do. I think, yeah, you know, nice for a Saturday morning or something. I don't know. But then you're constantly like tugging them up. Every time I go to buy underwear, I can't figure out the size, and then I give up. I think, what am I? A, am I a medium or a, I don't know what I am? Do they have drawstring underwear? Because mine are usually <laughs> they're either cutting me in half or they're sagging. How about a Velcro thing where you can kind of cinch it oh, up? Oh yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, like tuxedo pants. Positive Sean, whose <laughs> smile lights up the room. How are you, Sean? Doing quite well, and I, I, I am a humble, humble person. In fact, nobody's better at being humble than I am. <laughs> I'm the best at humbleness, and uh, you know. But I do want to take a moment and say it's a good thing that today I am the fastest man who's ever lived because I did my patented headphone sprint. Because the show started, I realized I didn't have my cans, my headphones. On there, so so I did the thing where I I run through the hall and I and I I alert everybody. I, Headphone sprint, as I say, and I don't <laughs> even know what they hear because I'm going so fast. They were, like the Doppler, and they, and, and they just see like a single piece of paper kind of fall in my right. wake as yeah, I'm sure. as I'm just going all the way to the other end of the radio ranch, past the steam room, past the physical therapy section, <laughs> grab the headphones, and I'm back here. And nobody would have even known had I not brought it up right now. So you know, it's important to just remember to play into your strengths, people. I, it's good you to know. be young. Yeah, past the kitchen where the chefs are uh, preparing the meals for the omelet bar. Yes, Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Spinach and Swiss cheese, he shouted as he ran past. Uh, Executive producer Hanson just brought me an Anson belt. Do you remember we used to endorse Anson belt? It's a fantastic belt. We have one here. Oh, good. And we will gift you with it. It is really a great belt. Oh, that's nice. Let me see. Open it up here. And uh, what color is it? You cut it to size. Michael, trust me on this. Give yourself a little extra room. I have made mistakes in the past. The holidays are coming. Mm, I'm not sure this is the color you were hoping for. Is it pink? No, it's it's a great if you're a guy who wears suits and those light colored brown shoes that are so popular. But uh, you know it'll work. It'll hold your pants up. Oh yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a nice a fun, shade. Yeah, that's I'll a take classic it. shade. I'll yeah. take it. Okay. This way, I don't have to go home. Yeah. No, this is a very <laughs> nice belt, and we will give this to you. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. You're we appreciate not seeing your hiney. <laughs> um, I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this. It is Tuesday, March 30th, the year 2021. We're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. Let's begin officially now, according to FCC rules and regulations. Here comes the show precisely at Mark. I was just thinking, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if Reddit and 4chan had a baby? And presto, HN was born. And that is, is that a Christmas elf for Miley Cyrus? Or that's from the new HBO documentary about uh, little people. It sounded like QAnon, uh, QAnon, and then 8chan and kind of internet 
culture as a whole. Yeah, yeah. and that's and a, a multi-part documentary. We talked about it the other day. Yeah, I watched the the first episode. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah, HN originally was a forum for discussing curly toed shoes and reindeer. <laughs> well, that that was the original founder of 4chan who who does have a medical condition. You may oh, have I seen see. him on on various oh, shows I, and stuff. You're I, mocking I, a handicapped no, person. No, no, what no, you're no, doing. not mocking. Imitating a loving tribute. I don't know anything about the guy. If he's got a medical condition, I don't want to make well, fun of him. Well, he did put together one of the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the Internet, though, right? I mean, so it's, you know, don't All worry right, about we'll, offending him. We'll convene the judges during the commercials to discuss whether I can imitate him. Um, <laughs> how does mailbag look? Oh, it's, it's, it's mediocre, frankly. <laughs> I, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, it's like I like Michael's when you're at a restaurant pants. and you say, you know, what's the what's good here? How's the steak sandwich? Nah, I wouldn't get that. I've never looked forward to mailbag more. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't get the steak sandwich. Oh, just, no, you know. no, I'll be uh, I'll be laboring during the commercials to try to spruce it up, but I'm not optimistic. If you if you got any opinion on that whole jurors make up their minds or what, what they can say in opening statements, I'd love to hear that on the text line four one five two nine five KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Maryland is changing their state song because it was written as a tribute to the Confederacy. And I thought, okay, what sort of whitewashing history politically correct? No, these lyrics are pretty over the top. How How did it stay the state song till now? Wow. It's hilarious. More on that later. Wow, yeah, Sherman should have burnt that song while he was at it, huh? Mailbag. Our freedom-loving quote of the day today from Ayn Rand once again. The smallest minority on earth is the individual. Those who deny individual rights cannot claim to be defenders of minorities. There you go. Write shorter books. (laughs) Uh, Moving on to the correspondence proper. Bo in Santa Cruz commenting on the China virus in our discussion yesterday of how we ought to call it that every single time and paste the blame where it's due on China. Guys, has anybody come up with the term Chirus? Too mergy? It's pretty mergy, Bo. Of course, Bo is in Santa Cruz. I can only assume he's, you know, you know. I know. (laughs) On the George Floyd case. Greg writes, I remember back in middle school when O.J. was acquitted, black kids were jumping up and down and cheering in school, which I didn't really understand. Hmm. What would happen if white kids did the same for uh, Officer Chauvin if he is acquitted? <laughs> Not good. Also, don't think it would ever happen. Um, like, I'm looking up at CNN right now, and they've got George Floyd's brother on and that lawyer that shows up at all of these uh, race-related trials, and um, they're the ones that were making the argument yesterday that this is the entire justice system on trial, and any result other than Chauvin going to jail for the rest of his life is, you know, racism and all that sort of stuff. And I'm fine with having them on saying that, but I've yet to see on CNN or anybody have some cops on saying, uh, yeah, that's exactly the way we're trained to do it. And, you know, that's that's similar to what I would have done or anything like that. Right. Just like uh, COVID fear clickbait, which is something I want to talk about a little bit later on. 
it, it doesn't serve the clickbaity media to offer nuance or balance. It's just it's not the current thing. Uh, this is from Ken. Derek Chauvin is obviously an innocent man, but should we free him and watch 40 cities burn or send him to jail? The correct answer is to send Derek to jail. The law has favored the white man for the last 120 years. Now the law will favor the black man. Things might get a little chaotic, but that's where we're at. Hmm. Well, that is a dangerous and horrific way to look at justice in this country, sir. But uh, you can think what you want. Why did taxpayers pay $27 million uh, in the settlement for George Floyd? That's not punitive. They didn't lose anything, writes Aaron. If cops are bad, take it out of their budget. How are bad cops punished by taxpayers paying enormous cash settlements? Well, how are taxpayers served by the cops having their budget yanked? I mean, the cops are there for us. I mean, that's a yeah. thorny one. It what sucks do do? all the way around. Yeah. yeah. I guess you hope the taxpayers uh, hate their tax money going to that payout so much that they do a better job of pressuring police departments to train better. I guess that's Swap what, out the leadership. I guess maybe. that's what you hope. I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, Joe, I seriously think juries should consist of judges and not the general public, writes Bruce. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, you want to spread out the decision-making among as many people as possible, I think, is the theory. It's less likely to be rigged that way. Uh, Yeah, yep, that's part of it. Don writes, I was listening to your show yesterday when Jack brought up how busy the park was with people playing, despite Dr. Fauci uh, saying maybe in July if we're all good, the kids can play in the park. (laughs) I was struck by the same thought in Las Vegas this weekend. I was in Vegas a couple months ago, driving through, empty, no traffic, no people, everything closed. I was there last weekend for a wedding. Despite restaurants being at 50% capacity, it was swamped. Oh, really? People walking up and down the strip everywhere, some masked, some not traffic like pre-pandemic times no kidding that's what vegas is looking like somebody fly fauci there so he can see that wow biden said no travel yesterday that's hilarious armstrong and getty the armstrong and getty show I'm going to pause here, I'm going to lose the script, and I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. We have so much to look forward to, but right now I'm scared. We have come such a long way. Three historic scientific breakthrough vaccines, and we are rolling them out so very fast. So I'm speaking today not necessarily as your CDC director, not only as your CDC director, but as a wife as a mother, as a daughter, to ask you to just please hold on a little while longer. That's Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC, talking about impending doom, saying, I'm going to get rid of the script and just talk from my heart. And then she read word from word from her script. Oh, really? Yeah. That was all, which is kind of weird. But um, as she said there, I just have this feeling. So she didn't back it up with any data. Just She just has this feeling. And so Joe Biden, Joe Biden came out yesterday and said, I'm reiterating my call for every governor, mayor, and local leader to maintain and reinstate the mask mandate. Please, this is not politics. Reinstate the mandate if you let it down. As the National Review is writing, Biden's call for reinstating mask mandates is undercut by evidence from Texas and Michigan, in which in Texas they got rid of their mask mandate. They're one of the states where the cases are going down. Michigan has kept their mask mandate. They're one of the 30 states where cases are going up. The... the 
the rhyme and reason behind things since the beginning on this, it's way more random. Or, right. or something They're making guesses and presenting them as certainty, yeah. demanding we all do it, and then when it turns out to be incorrect, they never acknowledge it. No, there's way more randomness to this on whether your restaurants were open or whether they're ma- or whatever than than anybody wants to admit. There are 30 states where cases are going up, and it's troubling. But it's it, there's no evidence that it's clearly linked to states saying yes to masks or no to masks. And as always, the government officials whose sole duty is preventing disease, the spread of disease, acknowledge not a whit, not an, an not an ounce, the economic situation, the psychological situation. You know, depression's a disease too, uh, but they never acknowledge that. She's just hold on a little longer. Um, uh, my restaurant's about to run out of money. I'm pro mask, by the way. I wear a mask. Um, I intend to wear a mask until uh, it seems like the dang thing is gone. I don't know how many people wearing a mask in Texas. It's often left out of the conversation. You can still wear a mask if you want to. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, CNN, for instance, and there are quite a few examples of this this morning. I decided trying to entertain all of them was too much. But the fear porn is so popular. I mean, CNN, which is just a stinking pile of excrement. Wow. I only watch it to punish myself for my sins. Wow. Yeah, but I found a written version of what they were talking about this morning, and it's just, it's, it's perfect CNN. It's classic CNN. Uh, and they talk about uh, the CDC director, and uh, she's warning of impending doom, fear porn as usual on uh, CNN, although that's a good quote. Uh, but now troubling uh, variant strain, more contagious, appears to be deadlier, and the combination of young, carefree revelers and states ditching safety mandates has helped send the country backwards, said Dr. Fauci. What we're likely seeing is because of things like spring break and pulling back on the mitigation methods that we're having now. They're talking about a rise in cases, a rise in test positivity. No, uh-uh. And it's mostly the young. It's the young who are spreading it. Nobody says at any point, and they'll be fine. Yeah, there's that with the young. And then I don't think there's any known link between, well, we just talked about that, known link between some of the loosening up and the rising cases. That's your, your guess. We don't know that. Right, right. Here's Dr. Ashish Jha, who's quoted in the article, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health. A lot of the spread is happening among younger people. That's the group that is moving around, kind of relaxing, getting infected, and fine, and yeah. now have immunity, and they, you know what they've done? They've vaccinated themselves by partying at spring break. Oh, part of what the CDC and President Biden said yesterday that really troubled me is they acted they acted they kept talking about we you know um was it Fauci or the CDC director that said this just reminds me of what we saw in Europe. Okay, but there's a huge difference between Europe and us. Europe is vaccinated practically nobody. We've vaccinated a lot of people. These this is a complete apples and oranges comparison on the ability for there to be a fourth wave. We're not Europe. We're not no. we're not a country full of people that are yet to be vaccinated. Michigan suffering another COVID-19 surge and of course in Michigan one of the most totalitarian of US states. The surge jack is driven largely by young people ages 10 to 19 said the state's chief medical executive. 
She attributed the rise in cases to a number of factors, like more gatherings, more mobility, et cetera, et cetera. No mention that the kids are fine and now they'll have immunity. Illinois, same thing. It's driven by the young. No mention that they're fine. It's just, it's fear porn. And the reason it bothers me so much, let me see if I can find this article real quick. I have so many tabs open. We need to do an edition of uh, Joe Closes' his tabs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sean's very excited about that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Thanks for your support, Shawnee. Oh, geez. Thanks for your positive. That's why we call him Positive Sean. So this is a piece just got published in the San Francisco Chironicle. And it, it's straight out of the the whole Dr. Fauci, if we really buck, buckle down, maybe kids could play outside in July. <laughs> I mean, meanwhile, the parks are full of kids who are quite appropriately playing outside. So this is, uh, let's see where, uh, there are signs of hope and normalcy for many after a year spent hunkered down in sweatpants. But not everyone relishes the thought of returning to the way things were before the pandemic. Uh, and actually, part of this is kind of true. It talks about the slower pace, maybe not commuting, and, the, and some people don't want to get right back into the normal stuff. Um Kind of the normal uh, rat race stuff, and that yeah. I get. I ran but into then, somebody in the hallway the other day, and I was like, "Oh yeah, right. Mm, I'd forgotten." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally get that. That part of this article I thought was pretty insightful and pretty good. But uh, then they get into built-up fears about the coronavirus itself and its variants, especially among those not yet vaccinated, compound the uneasiness that many feel. And they quote a twenty-four-year-old Emily: "It's just easier to stay home." She says she was gripped by anxiety when the coronavirus started spreading a year ago. I was very paralyzed from the fear that if I go outside, there's the possibility I can get it. You're 24, dear. Oh, man. You'll be fine. Your chance of dying is almost zero. Your chance of being in the hospital is like half of a half of 1%. Wow, that's too bad. It's too bad that either on purpose or by accident, so many young people were misled into thinking it was terrible for them. And then they say, laid off in mid-April from her digital marketing job, she realized it took a pandemic and days spent at home for her to recognize her existing unaddressed depression and for the first time to start taking antidepressants and take therapy. Or, sweetheart, you're depressed because you're home alone, filled with fear all the time. Now, uh, though the coronavirus is still lingering locally and globally, the push to reopen feels pretty premature and makes her even more anxious at age 24. Here's Lizzie, age 25. She can relate. After spending several pandemic months in the comfort of her family in San Mateo, she moved back to the city. She lives alone, and even running, one of her few outdoor activities, can bring stress as more people are out and about. She's 25 and she's afraid to run outside? Yeah, that's, that's somebody with with uh, psychological problems or has been successfully terrorized. And if they don't point that out in the article or in the piece, then they're, they're doing a disservice. Act, uh, acting like that that's a, a common or legitimate way to feel? Yeah, I miss the old normal, but I'm very scared for the new variants. Oh, let's see. I, I feel like a lot of the safety indoctrination started way before this pandemic. These are oh, yeah. these are the children who were raised where the single most important thing of in yeah. every outlet must be covered. No corner table must be exposed. I, I I agree with that. Now I uh I feel like we went overboard. I am now convinced. Yeah, safety third. That's my slogan. <laughs> Success third. first. Room for innovation second. Then then safety. Safety third. I mean, unless you're using a chainsaw or something, then, you know, okay. Bump safety up to second. All right, safety second, but not safety first. That's paralyzing. First, got to get the street down. That's the number one goal. Yeah.
Yeah, I just it saddens me. A twenty-five-year-old who's afraid to take a walk outside. What the hell? You know, this is a story about crazy people. It's not a story about COVID. Early on in this thing, I remember us talking about how we're we're living through a, a worldwide historical event that people will talk about for centuries. You know, like a World War II or something like that. And it was just kind of interesting to think about that. Um, but I think it's even bigger than than we all realize. There there will be. It's a different world coming out of this thing in all kinds of different ways. The situation that our country is in and China is in and European countries are in financially is changed forever because of this pandemic. The relationship between us and China is different forever. We got all these kids. We'd have no idea how this is going to play out with the missing a year of school and everything else that went along with it. There, there might be practically a, uh, it won't be to the, the, the level of, you know, B.C. and A.D. on the calendar, but, I mean, there's going to be a real after-the-pandemic world that is that is starkly different. You know, and then all the stuff about office space closing and people working from home, huge changes. Well, and then add to the fact that the Democratic Party has seen fit to use the COVID as a pretext for fundamentally changing the relationship between yeah. the government and the people. And some of that can be undone by the next administration, but as we've learned through the years, uh, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary tax or a temporary benefit, a, uh, a redistribution of income. Once people get used to that, receiving that benefit, you can't take it away. This wasn't quite the meteor that wiped out the dinosaurs, but it's a pretty a big event in terms of affecting the entire world. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, uh, we could jump to the text line for people who know something about lawyering and juries and that sort of stuff. Do 80% of people make up their mind in opening arguments? Like some studies say, if that's the case, then the next to de- yesterday and today in the Derek Chauvin trial is is the you know most of the enchilada, maybe right. not the whole enchilada, but most of the enchilada. And I do enjoy a good enchilada. Well, I'd eat one right now. Mm-hmm. Sour cream, guac, maybe like an egg enchilada breakfast, bacon in there or something. I don't know. No onions for me, please, though. Extra, I'll take his onions. Oh wow, jeez, love oh. onions. Oh, yeah. That seems like a terrible idea. Um. What was the thing I wanted to teach? Oh, jeez. Scariest thing I've seen financially in the Wall Street Journal today. Oh, no, no. no. I have to tell you about that coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. to her and I kept asking her about the refund. She kept saying, no, it's coming, it's coming. And then finally she just broke all communication. This rises to the level of felony conduct. We're talking about 45 victims who've lost over $100,000. I wish we never crossed paths with her. I don't know how somebody has the heart and soul to do this. I just felt really betrayed. We trusted her and then our friends trusted us. And pretty soon it snowballed and, you know, everybody just felt crushed. Interesting scam these people were running. You book travel and then just keep the money. That's pretty hmm. easy, pretty easy scam. Crooked travel agent. I, huh? I, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we're only hearing this from one perspective. Are there, are there any shareholders we can talk to? I'm looking at their. I'm looking at their. Their. Pro, I mean, the profits are unbelievable on this company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's we'll like a, it's are. a vertical line, straight up. Right. It's like Bernie Madoff. He gets twelve percent year after year. Hmm. Um. 
This troubled me. So this uh, came out a little bit ago from the Wall Street Journal. Home prices grew at their fastest rate in 15 years in January. 15 years. Let me do the math. What does that take me back to? Roughly 15 years ago. When was the last time home prices grew this fast? Oh, that'd be 2006. Let me look at the calendar here and go back into some financial history. Oh, 2006. That's when home prices peaked in the United States and started to go down for the biggest housing crash in the history of the world. You know, it's funny. It, it I'll be darned. Me. My exactly nieces were... 15 years ago, the last time it was going up this fast. My nieces were in town, and we didn't blow bubbles. We should have. We usually do that. Sell. Sell. <sighs> How come that's not attached to any article? Doesn't that seem like this would be worth throwing in? That's not a crazy thing to do that math, is it? That the last no. time it was going up this fast, it's the fast it was fastest the housing has ever gone up since right before the biggest crash in the history of housing. I would at least like to hear from an expert explaining why it's not the same, why the fundamentals are different this time. Although we heard from experts in 06 and 05 about, oh, no, no, it's not a bubble. This is actually demand built on the greater need for a coefficient of quotients. (laughs) And then it went pop. How Uh, old do you think the person who wrote that article was when that crash happened? hmm, That's a very good seven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were seven. Yeah. So yeah, they, maybe they don't have a, a a really vivid memory of that. They heard mom and dad talking about something in the kitchen, and they seemed upset, but they don't remember what it was. Yeah, that's a good one right there. Um, We got uh, this text. I've served on 11 juries. Not once did I make up my mind on opening statements. Cases were civil and criminal, but none of them were murder. Yeah, I heard that studies show 80% of people, of jurors, make up their minds during opening statements. And as Joe points out, I didn't know this, but I've never served on a jury, that you can say all kinds of stuff in opening statements that aren't going to come true during the trial, which is interesting. Sure, maybe you just don't get around to it. Maybe you decide uh, there's no point and uh, we've already got our case made. Maybe you just never intended to prove it at all. Having served on six juries in Oregon, seeing how easily jurors don't really listen to lawyers' arguments but are more influenced by how a lawyer is dressed or looks... Yes, I saw this happen again and again. I decided if I was guilty as charged, I would want a jury trial. If innocent, I would rather choose a non-jury trial and let the judge decide my future. Somebody who's served on six juries come has come out of that experience with, if I'm guilty, I want a jury, because at least yes. I got a shot. If I'm innocent, yeah. no. I want one smart judge and hope for the best. You know, I'm needling that, noodling that through rather uh, on the basis of my experience as a juror. I agree. Really? I think that's, that's a good strategy. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Your best shot is a guilty person as a jury. I could believe that. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's interesting. But as it's tough to get 12 people to agree on anything. Sure. So, I don't know. I might go with the jury as an innocent person, too. I don't know. That's a tough one. So you remember the solar winds hack, described as one of the worst hacks in the history of hacking? And it's um, still uh, hacking, right? It's hacking is still going on, and it's even worse than we thought. So solar winds got into the DHS big time. Suspected Russian hackers gained access to email accounts belonging to the Trump administration's head of the Department of Homeland Security, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, and members of the department's cybersecurity staff, whose jobs included hunting threats from foreign countries. And Russia needs to alert the Department of Irony. And Russia was bouncing around in their email accounts and reading. Unbelievable. 
The intelligence value of the hacking of then-acting Secretary Chad Wolf and his staff is not publicly known. The symbolism is stark, says the New York Post. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it is. <laughs> yes. There are accounts, yes, we caught that. <laughs> there are accounts were accessed as part of the whole SolarWinds hack, and it throws into question, how can the U.S. government protect individuals, companies, and institutions across the country if it can't protect itself at the highest levels? It does raise that question. <laughs> That's some good analysis. The solar winds hack was a victory for our foreign adversaries and a failure for DHS, says Senator Rod Portman of Ohio. It clearly was. We're talking about DHS's crown jewels, and they were able to get in. That is really troubling. Um, Still don't know what they're doing with that information or what they're going to be able to do with it. The Biden administration has tried to keep a tight lid on the scope of the solar winds attack, and for good reason as it weighs retaliatory measures against Russia. But an inquiry by the AP found new details about the breach at DHS and other agencies, including the Energy Department, where hackers access top official schedules, um, which is a big deal or not a big deal, depending on what they're going to do with that information. Yeah, I don't know. 11 a.m., meet with Bill. Well, if you're going to figure out where you're going to go so you can attack him on a roadside, that'd be a big deal. Um, I'm not sure who wants to attack members of the uh, Department of Energy, but who knows? They might have some insidious purpose. Yeah, that's the really Department troubling, of Energy, isn't it? which probably is not that important to exist anyway. But that's really uh, that's really troubling, is it not? Oh yeah, I mean, if they don't have, if the DHS doesn't have protocols in place that make it virtually impossible to hack into them, obviously nobody does, or few do. I've been saying for years. I really hope we're good at this. That we're like really, really good at this. As good as other people? I, I'm not sure we are. Yeah, I wonder. China's never going to put out that uh, the U.S. successfully messed nope. with us in this way. So nope. we don't know the full picture. So there, there's two different vectors on which we can be better or worse than the world, offensively or defensively. I think we're very on par offensively with the rest of the world. I don't know about defense. Right. So we got to keep the quick tempo up, Sean, and score a lot. So you've only heard one side of the Georgia election laws story, if you've been paying attention to that at all. It's been very one-sided in the press. The Wall Street Journal pushing back. You should stay tuned for that now or two. Armstrong and Getty.